invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. This evening we'll look at verses 25 through 30. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. If you are using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,162. Let us now hear God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Let us go before him in a time of prayer. O Father in heaven, Lord of all nature, we pray that you would be our vision as we look to your word to be fed true spiritual food and drink, that you would, O Lord, not only give us believing hearts, but also hearts that walk in accordance with your word, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been called to in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we would be hearers and doers of your word. Grant us your grace, O Lord, for apart from you we can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Congregation of Christ, last week's sermon was God's will for wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the church submits to Christ, her Lord, her Savior. That was last week's sermon, wives, submit to your own husbands. This evening, the sermon title is God's will for husband, and the theme is husbands love Your wives. Husbands, love your wives. This is God's will for you, husbands. And did you note how many verses 
Paul spends instructing us to love our wives. Did you notice that he says once, wives, submit to your husbands, but three times, husbands, love your wives. In fact, he goes so far to say love it. husbands ought to love their wives. As head of the wife, as head of the home, the husband has an incredible and weighty responsibility before him. If the Lord commands the wife to submit to her own husband, how much more responsibility then is required of the husband to love his wife? Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's the meaning of this? What does Paul mean? There are many Greek words that are translated love. There's what you probably know of, Philadelphia, brotherly love. <clears throat> There's eros, eros, which is romantic love. There's agape love, which is an unconditional divine love. And agape is the word that is used here. Husbands, love, agape, your wives. As Christ agaped the church and gave himself up for her. Agape is a divine love and it is an act of the will. Preaching on biblical divine love never gets old for me. I preach on it all the time or when I do a wedding meditation. I love 1 Corinthians 13 because I don't think as a Christian on this side of glory we could understand the depth and breadth of what Paul teaches concerning biblical love. We are going to be lifelong learners of such divine agape love. And for example, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 where love is an action word and an act of the will, not merely emotions or sentimentality or feelings, but is an act of the will. Love is patient, long-suffering, and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It, is not, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Such love is an act of the will. Even when you don't feel like being kind, love is kind. You think about today, in the cultural climate we're in, Christians don't love their neighbors because they call out sin for what it is. No, it is because of love. That we call out sin for what it is. Because sin leads to destruction. And to the path of hell. Unbelief leads to hell. So love delights in the truth. Love is an act of the will. Husbands willingly love your wives. As Christ loved the church. 
Now such love exists in the body of Christ. And so how is the husband's love for his wife different from his love for his neighbor? Well, the husband's love for his wife is different in that he is one flesh with his wife. And they share that one love, that romantic love, that friendship love, that divine love. The text, as we will see, teaches that the wife becomes part of the husband's own body. That's how it's different. And therefore, Christ is the number one priority of every Christian. The number one priority for the husband and the wife. Next to Christ, the wife is the priority of the husband. This is why Paul says elsewhere that the wife's body belongs to her husband and the husband's body belongs to the wife. You own each other, so to speak. Think about the implications of that. We're going to talk about that later on in the sermon. But start thinking about what the implication, the practical implications of that. You live life together. This kind of love is profoundly modeled for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. When he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You want to see the deep meaning of this command? Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself sacrificially and selflessly for her. So that the church would inherit an eternal salvation. How does God love his people? He gave his one and only son. Do you see then love is giving sacrificially? Love is giving. It is an act of of the will that gives one person to another. I give myself to my wife. That is how I love her. And I will sacrifice my life for her. Love is sacrificially and selflessly doing good to our spouse who is our closest neighbor, our most close neighbor. And so the meaning is sacrificial, selflessness. That's what love is, an act of the will that is selfless and sacrificial. And it shows itself to be so. Think about God and what he has done for us. God not only says he loves us, but he, only, he always gives, showing that he loves us. Think about for God so loved the world. How? That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his own love for us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, he gave Christ to die for the ungodly. God loves by giving. Giving his life for his church, his body. Oh, the weighty responsibility of a husband. 
To be sure, Christ always loved the church and will love the church. But notice what the text says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Paul goes back to a particular point in history, namely the cross, where we see the expression, the great expression, the profound expression of Christ's love for us. Pointing back to the greatest expression and model of marital love in human history when our Savior voluntarily and sacrificially gave himself up for the church on the cross of Calvary. Oh, the depth and breadth of Christ's love for his church. Yes, in the Gospels we hear that Christ in his, in his inner being had compassion, he had deep feeling and emotion for his, his people, the sheep, his lost sheep that he came to save. But he acted. He did something for them. He gave. Husbands, give. Give to your wife. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who is love? Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus who showed us love by his sacrifice. And we in turn praise him. You can see why the church, by the power of the Spirit, submits to her Lord. Because of how Christ gave to his bride, his body, his church. Is that an incentive for the wife to submit to her husband? When her husband gives abundantly to the wife? In love, Christ accepted the Father's will. In love, he obeyed the Father's will. In love, he laid down his life for us in fulfillment of the word of his Father. The analogy, the point of the analogy of Christ in the church is to teach us the meaning of love. Because we do not give for our wives redemptively. We cannot save our wives. Christ saves the souls of our wives. Christ gives his life for the redemption. We give our lives in obedience to God's command to love our wives, to point her to Jesus. The point of the analogy is to teach us the meaning of love. The husband's love for his wife must be unconditional as Christ died for us because he loved us. Christ didn't die for us in order to love us. No, he died for us because he loved us. We love our wife. I love my wife because God gave her to me as a gift. I give my life for her because I love her. I don't wait for her to conditionally do things in our marriage and then say, mm, I think I'll decide to love you now. 
And I dare to say that's oftentimes the state of a marriage. Love is based on conditionality. The meaning of the metaphor here, the meaning of love is sacrificial, selfless. Selfless, meaning unselfish and unending. unending. You've heard the words, till death do us part. The distinction between a husband's love for his wife and Christ's love for his church is our love is not redemptive. I can't say my wife, only Jesus saves her. But by God's grace, I'm called to love her. Selflessly, sacrificially, purposefully, intentionally, unending, without strings attached. Because I made a vow to her in my marriage with him. That's the meaning of the command, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Secondly, the purpose, verses 26 and 27, you'll notice there are three clauses, that or so that, that. Again, husbands, look at me at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ gave himself for the church. Why? To sanctify her. By his sacrifice, Jesus set apart his people to be holy and blameless positionally before God. That's who we are, positionally before God, holy and blameless, cleansed by his blood. And now let's keep in mind that Paul says that Jesus, when he gave himself for the church, he gave himself for the entire body. He's talking about his body, the community of faith, believers from every generation and from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He gave himself for them to sanctify them, set them apart in holiness because they are part of his holy body. How did he sanctify her? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Some interpreters here believe that Paul refers to water baptism which symbolizes or points to the washing away of filth and the newness of life in Christ. In water baptism, the washing of water is made with the word. For without the word, baptism has no meaning. For without the word, baptism is meaningless and empty. However, Paul says that the church or body of Christ has been cleansed by the washing of water with the word. Not individuals, not individuals but the community of faith, the entire body. So it seems here that Paul is going back to a promise in the Old Testament. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 16. 
beginning at verse 8. In chapter 16, Israel was a faithful bride. But at verse 8 and following, we hear these words. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with the embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. The Lord will make his bride beautiful. And here is what we can call a bridal bath that is given to the people of God to cleanse them. And we see this theme even in the New Testament with Jesus Christ. For example, in John chapter 13, verse 10, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, Jesus said to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. At chapter 15, verse 3 of John's gospel, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Again in 17, chapter 17, verse 17 of John. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Jesus sanctifies a people by his blood and he cleanses them by his blood when he speaks his living word into the souls of his people. And they respond in repentance. They receive the bridal bath. Why did Jesus give his life, give himself to the church? To sanctify her. To sanctify her. But also so that he presents her Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. You see the same language as Ezekiel 16. That he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That, he might, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the New Testament days, now listen carefully here. In the New Testament days, what was the first stage of coming together of a man and a woman. It was a betrothal, where a man was betrothed to his wife. It was a legal binding that the man was going to marry the woman. They weren't officially married yet, but they were betrothed. 
betrothed there. In the same way, we await the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are Christ's bride, his betrothed. We are his betrothed, whom he makes spiritually and morally pure. That's what it means, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ makes his bride beautiful spiritually and morally. That's what he's doing to us and for us. And he's doing it so that he makes his bride for himself to be in splendor. Notice there, so that he might present to the church to himself. He makes a bride beautiful so that at the marriage supper, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that great festive occasion at the wedding feast of the Lamb, he will receive us in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And Jesus prepares us with garments of righteousness and a beautiful wedding garment symbolizing moral and spiritual purity, symbolizing the imputation of Christ's righteousness, Christ's righteousness clothed on the people of God. And he will present us to himself in that glorious splendor. In this life, we are sanctified, and we are being sanctified, friends. We are holy and without blemish, and we are being made holy, and we are being made without blemish, because Christ is doing a work in his people. Christ will present us to himself in splendor. That is the purpose for Christ giving himself for the church That is the purpose for Christ giving himself to the church. And now he goes back, he draws our attention back to the husband. The manner in which the husband ought to love his wife. Where we read at verse 28, in the same way, in the same manner, husbands, in the same way husbands should love or ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands ought to love their wives in the same manner as Christ loved the church, for the purpose of sanctifying her and presenting her morally and spiritually pure to himself. Paul says here, in the same way, in the same way, husbands shall love their wives as their own bodies. Because the wife is now one with the husband, they are one flesh. And so the husband ought to love their wife as their own body. As part of their own body, you shall love your wife. Just like you, husbands, love your flesh. And you 
taking food to sustain your physical well-being. You may work out. You may do things for your body to nourish it because you cherish it. In the same manner, husbands should love their wives. In other words, what does this mean? What does it mean in the same way or in the same manner husbands love your wives? Husbands, how are you contributing to the spiritual well-being of your wife? Husbands, how are you contributing to the building up of the faith of your wife? Are you a stumbling block to your wife's spiritual growth and trust in the Lord? Or are you serving your wife Leading your wife in the truth. Blessing your wife with your words. Are you being merciful to your wife? Forgiving your wife? In other words, are we pointing our wives to Jesus? We can't change each other. I tell this to Mary... Or, in their premarital counseling, I tell both the guy and the gal, you look at each other. You can't change each other's hearts. Only God changes hearts. Only God transforms hearts and minds. So sometimes it's what, what you see is what you get. <laughs> Trusting that God does the sanctifying. But are we creating an environment within the home, within the marriage, where the husband is seeking to lead the wife in the faith? Creating an environment in the home and marriage where Christ is King and Lord, and our wives are spiritually and physically cared for. To what extent will you go for your wife? What would you do for her? Husbands, you and I are servant leaders in the home. And we look to the great servant leader in God's house, the Lord Jesus Christ, who showed us, modeled it, Here's a couple other things I want to bring to your attention for taking notes. Pray for her daily and care for her spiritual needs. Pray for her daily, daily, and care for her spiritual needs. Be tender towards your wife. Already these two, do they not... Reflect Jesus. 
the one who is tender to his body, his church, the one who prays for us and intercedes for us, protect her spiritually and physically. And here's a big one, practice communication. God, through Christ, communicates to his church, does he not? Communicate to your wife. Know her needs. Know her desires. Know who she is. I often, a lot of things I'm going to tell you right now I share in a wedding ceremony. And I usually share this story of this pastor, this elderly pastor that I became aware of. And he's, he was married for 60 years. And he was asked about his marriage. And the thing that he said to the person that asked him about his marriage, he said to this, I'm always amazed at what I learn about my life. I never stop learning who my wife is. 60 years of marriage, he never wanted to stop learning about his wife and knowing his wife. Practice communication. Know her. Know her. Share life together. In other words, let her into your thoughts and minds. Let her into your life. Don't compare your wife to other wives. Why can't you be like her? Husbands and wives, marriage, as someone once said, isn't a matter of convenience, but commitment to one another. Marriage takes work. Yes, a marriage that thrives is a marriage that thrives by God's grace, but we are not passive participants. We are active. It takes work. And so often, friends, so often in the marriage, when there is conflict between husband and wife, I want to show you a diagram here. You see it? Christ is at the top. Here's the husband. Here's the wife. When there's conflict here, when there's conflict here, you better believe that there's something wrong here. If Christ is not the head of the home, there is trouble here. What's going on in your marriage? I don't know. But is Christ the head of the home? Is there chaos in the home between husband and wife? Does someone need to ask for forgiveness? What's going on in the home?
Now understand, we know Christ loves perfectly and always. Husbands, we haven't loved our wives as we ought. Our idea of love is often conditional and selfish. We, however, haven't arrived any constant grace and mercy, and so we repent. We repent. And there's something else that I say in wedding ceremonies, and I say it at every single ceremony, without exception, and it is this. The most important words that a husband and wife can say to each other is this. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry, please forgive me. And for the spouse to turn and say, I forgive you. Don't underestimate the power of forgiveness. As both of you look to Christ for that healing and reconciliation. Because if you're not both looking up, there's going to be no reconciliation here. No reconciliation. Yeah, you may live under the same roof. You're just existing together. Know this, as long as there are two sinners living under the same roof, there will be trials and hurts and challenges, and we come to the Lord in repentance and seek his forgiving love, and he forgives. That's why his mercies are new every morning. How beautiful that is. That though I am unfaithful, he remains faithful. But there are great joys, aren't there, and blessings in the marriage. And we rejoice in that. When God's blueprint for marriage is our guide, we know that joy and that blessing. We know that great joy and blessing when our eyes are upon God's word and will for marriage. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we confess, oh Lord, that we have not loved as you have called us to love. Perhaps in our thoughts or with our words, we've offended one another offended our spouse, sinned against our spouse, haven't loved as Christ calls us to love. And oh, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you have cleansed us of our sins and that we, when we turn to you, Know your forgiving love and mercy. And you are doing a work in us that is pleasing in your sight. And oftentimes, Lord, that work is painful to us 
where we, we learn truly who we are. We learn how we need to turn to you always and seek your grace and mercy and to be diligent in knowing your word and studying your word and meditating upon your word and that we would put feet to our faith and walk in accordance with your word so that we may learn, that wives may learn to submit to their husbands and husbands learn to love their wives. Oh, Father, I pray for the marriages of this congregation, of the families represented here, that you would strengthen us, reflecting more and more that great marriage between Christ and his body, his bride, the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.